Thank you for listening in on our podcast in the series, Intergenerational Conversations on Climate. The podcast brings together voices from high school students and senior citizens from around New Brunswick to discuss their concerns about climate change in our province. The project is the product of Voices for Sustainable Environments and Communities as part of your province's Environmental Trust Fund at work. Today we're in Gagetown with several conversations exploring concerns and hopes represented by senior citizens and high school students. Climate crises appear in global and national news with increasing frequency and desperation. Voices of concern can be heard every single day. Voices of hope are less common. How do our friends and neighbors think about the new climate? Let's find out. Today we have April and Don willing to share their thoughts. I'm Bruce Langus and I will be the facilitator. Good morning to you both. Good morning. First question to Don. How familiar are you with our changing climate? Uh, well, I guess I'm old enough. I've been hearing about it for a long time. <laughs> so that part is familiar with it. Living in a rural setting, I, spent, I think we see more of it, of what's actually changing. And having the age, I remember back when I was in my preteens and that, and what snowstorms were like compared to what we see now. And just summer weather, for that matter. April, how familiar are you with the aspects of changing climate? I feel like I have heard a lot of things going on, you know, in the background and news and people talking about it, but I honestly think I probably should know a lot more than I do. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm looking for a place where I could be directed to learn more about what we can do, what is happening, what uh, it will be happening in the future, how far advanced everything already is, you know, that, all of that. So, mm-hmm. as, a, as a follow-up to that, Don, you're an avid gardener. Um, are you seeing changes in the way you uh, you fight with bugs or the the different plants that you're um, that you're using? There's probably more bugs sometimes, depending on what the weather winter goes like. If you have a mild winter, then more bugs survive, so there's more of them. But really, I think the biggest thing with you know with gardening is the way you get rain and the way we get heat. Now we get I don't know if we get more rain. But when it comes, it comes very heavy and damaging to, to a point. And, and things like, well, we had hail here a week ago and enough that it had hailed and there was still some hail at the downspouts the following morning. So the, the, our deck was white. Yeah, so things like that is very tough on plants. Mm-hmm. April, do you, um, do you see things in your... Uh day-to-day basis that make you think about climate changing? Well, like what Don was saying about the hail, I mean, I've seen instances of that that, you know, maybe last for one or two minutes and then it turns into rain and, you know, 
10 minutes later, you don't even see any more of it any, anymore. So it was weird to wake up the next morning and still have ice, even though it was 16 degrees out and, you know, that, yeah. So I, I guess I could say that there definitely are different things, stuff that I've never seen before. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Don, I'll ask you again. Uh, uh, second question where do you get your climate information it's very limited usually it's in the news on the radio driving in a car like with uh, commute my commute to work was 40 minutes so you listen to the news and it comes up very often on the news about it like like you mentioned earlier so it's but that's pretty well it. I don't research or look into the internet for more information. I just kind of live more in the day-to-day and take in what I hear. Does that fit you, April? Um, that's the thing. It's like Don and I are seem to be very much in the same kind of situation. I mean, I I know that I've heard stuff in the past from my parents, you know, and they've mentioned things like that, but I... I don't know. I I think I'm a little bit lackadaisical in in like paying attention to what's going on around and I don't I don't know how to answer it beyond that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh it's strange how these um how these climate uh, facts tend to sneak up on you. I remember uh whatever day that was. I guess Thursday listening to CBC and they passed on the fact that one-third of the population of the United States was under a stay-indoors warning due to the heat. Yeah, well, that, that's right. And there was the same in B.C., they were, British Columbia. They were talking about heat and deaths coming from it already this year. Yes, yes. It's... Uh, it's one of those things that, um, you know, certainly that kind of magnitude I've never seen or heard of before. Mm. Next question. Do you talk to others about today's climate? Not so much. <laughs> uh, okay. That's, that's the long and the short of it. Don. Do you talk to... Uh... Well, sure. We live in New Brunswick. Every conversation starts with what's the weather like. <laughs> and I guess that's the extent of state. People say, oh, okay, it hasn't been this hot for years. Or the, the rainstorm or the hail. We talk the day-to-day weather we talk about. But as far as it going deeper, I think everyone kind of leans to worrisome to some extent. Like, oh, what's going to happen next kind of thing. But no one... In my circle that I would talk to, I go any deeper than that. It's just a matter of stating where things are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you talk to family about it? Uh, just in brief, maybe. Just much the same way. It'd be like when my wife and I, we love to garden and look after things. So when these storms come, we talk about it back and forth and we... Re- remember what it was like other years and as far as with extended family no not not really going back to the to the trust issue how do you trust news presenters uh political figures business leaders 
How do you uh, how do you look at them and trust what they say about climate? Well, I guess it, you have to take a lot of it. You have to think about what you've heard, I guess, on any of them, because you think the news is going to be good, but now uh, the news bites get shorter and shorter and more sensational just to try to keep people listening. Say, and it's like that, you know, cry, they cry in wolf just so we'll all stay to hear the next commercial kind of thing. Politicians and to that extent, uh, a lot's promised of things to do, but it seems very slow and happening. And I guess that's all our fault too, as a general public, you know, the controls and restraints that might have to get put in. Well, we all agree they should happen, but no one really wants to go that way. We all like our lifestyle and like to keep the way it is. So it's hard to change. And business people, well, it's the same thing. They're business people. They, They obviously are conscientious. Some are, some aren't, but they're still the bottom lines make a profit kind of thing. So sometimes things are good and sometimes not so good with any business, right? Mm-hmm. April, what do you think about that? How do you trust political figures, news presenters, business people on, on about what they say about the climate and our futures? It's really hard, excuse me, to be able to decide who is being factual because it seems like a lot of people, whether it be in politics or business, have an agenda that they're leading towards. And in the past, there have been a lot of things that have been said about how um, things are over-dramatized and, you know, it's not as bad as they're saying that it is or it's worse than they're saying that it is or like so that's my big confusion and it is where do you lean to to know that you're getting honest information so that you know what you need to do as a single person or as a group of people to try to hopefully turn it around or at least keep it where it is but uh, I it's really hard for me to say who I could trust because there's so much conflicting information all the time. So, I mean, obviously there are main things that, you know, are so there's more water, there's more rain, there's more uh, fluctuation in temperature, even between provinces, because I hear the difference between my dad being in Ontario and us being here in New Brunswick, the, they've already had heat waves and, you know, super humid, uh, situations. And, you know, so I don't, (laughs) sorry about the ramble on. Um, no, quite all right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, now, as the uh, as the rubber hits the road, as we say, who has more at stake with our changing climate, teens or adults? I'll ask Don this first. Oh, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I, I saw that question, and I, I, I've been thinking about that, and I, I really don't know, because for me with the climate change, it's, it's what's going on today. And what's going on in 10 years? Well, where's the technology going to be? I, 
I could go 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought cars, electric cars would be as prevalent as they are now. Now it's quite common to see them on the road, where 10 years ago, it was the exception if you saw any. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Because I think as things get worse and climate changes, but technology tries to catch up, I think the crisis part's more like what, what are people going to be living like in 100 years from now as opposed to uh, a generational thing. April, how, uh, how do you view things? Who has more at stake here, uh, a teenage person or an adult? I think it's equal for different reasons. Because like Don said, 100 years from now, um, those people are going to be dealing with whatever happens then. But it matters just as much to do whatever you can now to make the future better. And also it matters for today to try to keep everything as close to what is happening right now and not to get any worse. So I, I don't think that anybody is any less or any more affected than anyone else. Like, I think it's right across the board. It just, obviously it's for present day versus future. And obviously you can't go back into the past and change anything that's already happened. So you need to just learn from that. But I think everybody is equally affected. Okay. Okay. Um, and since you brought this up, uh, April, what are some things you personally could do to fight climate change? <sighs> Research, education, getting other people on board with the same, you know, figuring out honestly what the common goal is of everybody, um, and I'm assuming things like even with recycling and, and um, water conservation and things like that, obviously all of that leads into it as well. And even if people say, well, it's not worth it, is it really making anything any worse by putting the effort in anyway? So, um, yeah, I think it's mostly just research and education and trying to get as many people on board as possible with the same agenda that's you know, yeah yeah don what do you think about that what can you i guess uh, there's a stewardship of the property you know like we own 20 acres so we try to maintain it we try to set an example by how we look after things on our little piece of the world kind of thing and we don't mind telling others like we the four two-thirds of it are wooded so we get our firewood off that but we try to manage the forest too to make it better even though we're taking some out it's it's selective and we also we like to garden and grow things and i think the more people can do that like you see on youtube now all this talk about homesteading and people starting small farms and feeding themselves and i think there's a lot to that because if people is grown locally then the more we can have that's local there's more sustainable and it's less traveling costs for everything and your food's better. Pretty much, mm -hmm. I just try to do things around home more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned travel. Um, what can uh, what can you or I or April or any of us um, in the area do about cutting down on the on our carbon footprint? 
associated with travel? Well, I guess one thing we've done, and it's probably part of the pandemic that came through, is we both worked in Fredericton, my wife and I, and we commuted daily. And then when the pandemic came, uh, my wife decided she's worked from home. So that's one person. The car was still going, oh, unfortunately, but it was still. Then I gradually slowed down. So I'm working from home with going to the Fredericton maybe once a week now. So as far as the local travel, that's how we're trying to ease, just ease the amount of gas used, I guess, and try to have a vehicle that's relatively economical to run. Mm-hmm. April, what do you think about that? How to cut down on our on our uh, carbon footprint through travel? Should we all get horses? <laughs> well, horses will cut the grass. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I I am kind of conflicted with that. I mean, obviously, you try your best to. Um, plan trips so that you're not unnecessarily driving, you know, into town for one thing every day. Um, but right now with the whole electric car thing, I'm looking at the information about the fact that when the batteries go, now what do you do? Do you buy a new car or do you buy a new battery? Because the battery costs almost as much as the car. And then if you, you know, put the car in a, a landfill or whatever, then how are, how is that helping? You know, so I don't know at this point really where to, to go with that whole, I don't know how to, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, I've, I've wondered about the electric car thing too. The same thing is when, where's the, the electricity just isn't coming out of the thin air. That is, too. is this, is it a clean grid or a dirty grid where this energy is being, made so i wonder is it all so perfect with electric vehicles even i don't know that i mean i think Mm -hmm. that the electric vehicle eventually will they'll find uh, a way to maximize its capabilities but i don't think they're there yet yeah so and it's a lot of money to spend on a car that you might only have for 10 years 12 years and then have to just ditch the whole thing for another one and then what you well now you're throwing microwaves in the you know (laughs) in the the landfill instead of having something that lasts for 25 or 30 years so i don't know and what what works involved in mining and whatnot to get these batteries Mm -hmm. where's that coming from i don't know so it sounds like this is an opportunity for research on the part of uh, consumers I think you're right. Here's another um, another question that uh, that comes to the crux. How would you feel about Canada giving the vote to 16 year olds? Um, I'm not a hundred percent. I think that that 16 year olds should definitely have power, but I don't know if I think that they should have that much yet um i think there should definitely be a a middle ground somewhere there where they can put out their their opinions and their you know thought processes on what they would like to have happen and who they would like to see in power and to be able to make decisions but i don't know that a 16 
or not every 16-year-old would be able to make an informed decision. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don, what are your thoughts on that? Should uh, the average 16-year-old have the vote? Well, my guess would be the altruistic ones that would want to vote, and a lot would say, no, I'm just not going to bother. So I imagine, I think, sure, why not? Why not? Let them in, and if they're going all hard and fast for environmental concerns and other concerns of that nature, I might balance out some of the older folks that are being more worrisome about change. Sure. Do you think the average um, 16-year-old is um, mature enough? My guess is they're as mature as an (laughs) 18-year-old. I'm 60 and I have my off days. <laughs> so so it's quite possible. I think so, yeah. I think you're going to get some that are interested and some that aren't. And 16 to 18, I don't see any difference really. Well, there are probably some, but just we don't have children of our own, so we haven't seen it go through the process. <laughs> sure. Um, the uh, April... Um... Uh, the the sixteen to eighteen year olds in that in that window will the opportunity to vote make them more mature? I guess that is possible because they might be forced to uh, think of some issues and to research issues to make an informed decision with a vote. Um, so it might push them to actually educate themselves and, you know, knowledge is power, power is, you know, yeah. So sure. yeah. that's true. If, if they had the vote that I'm sure the schools would have in social sciences or somewhere to be more involved and they, they'd know more about it too, where they, now they probably don't get that much. Right? Good point. Good point. Last question. Is the future climate crisis the threat we should be most concerned about today? Ask Don that. My first thought is no. We've done a fair bit of travel, and we've gone to a lot of third world countries, and you realize just how good we have it compared to these other places. Like There was a guy that said, uh, you know, if you're born in Canada, you already won the lottery compared to what a lot of other countries have. So I think and we can't expect them to be environmentally conscious until they have a sustainable lifestyle, too. So it can't be all about us doing great and we worry about it, but then we get everything in from a third world country. So I think poverty and equalization amongst countries is probably more important right now. But that will affect climate, I'm sure of it. April, what's your thoughts? What's the crisis that we should be worried about today? Overpopulation. There's just way too many people in the world, I think, that it's hard to sustain. If we were all taken out tomorrow, the world would learn how to live again without our influence. And I think the more people that are here that are using up all of the resources and whatever is what's... Unfortunately, that is part of what's adding to the issues so or to the problems it's just that the world can't sustain that many people like the earth can't sustain that many people i don't think so that's 
I think probably you're you're right that that is a, a a crisis. But how do you solve that crisis of overpopulation? That's a big question. <laughs> and there are way too many. Um... It's a it's a very difficult question. People have been worried about it for certainly the last hundred years. Um, Don, you got well, any thoughts? I think it goes back to what I was saying too about if you look uh, anywhere where the lifestyle is better, the families are smaller. They seem to be people like North America have two kids where in some third world countries people have five kids kind of thing. If your lifestyle is better and you're doing it and you have more money, to, it just seems that families get smaller, one or two kids. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fact that people didn't used to live to a hundred years old or you know ninety five years old made a bit of a difference too. So, sure. but yes, yes, okay, we're going to snap it down right there. Thank you for all your your information today. Let me thank our participants, April and Don. Also, I want to thank Cameron Davidson for recording and producing today's podcast. Thank you all.